The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. It's like your favorite call-in radio show, without being able to call in, and without being on the radio. Building HVAC Science with Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast, where it's our goal to create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians by helping the two professions better understand each other with the ultimate goal of making customers happy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. I've been involved in the HVACR and building performance markets for 30 years, and I've noticed the need for scientifically rooted information on how to do a job technically correct. It's also best to understand the broad perspectives, and I hope to do that through this podcast. There's a lot of other great resources available and influencers out there, including HVACR School, Zach Ciotta of HVAC Shop Talk, Stephen Reardon, HVAC Reefer Guy, Tool Pros, Service Business Mastery, Quality HVAC, HVAC Overtime and HVACR videos, and of course, HomeDiagnosis.tv, and Jim Bergman, and all the things he does over at the Measure Quick YouTube channel. On today's podcast, we're joined by Brian Cordell, the Director of Residential and Commercial Business Development at the Propane Education Research Council. Brian has decades of experience in the world of propane and the energy industry in general. We cover topics ranging from propane as a source of space and water heating, cooking, mobile energy, including school buses, to combine heat and power systems. We also touch on propane as a refrigerant, of course, R290. You might be surprised at the size of some of the systems we discuss. So let's listen into this conversation, which was recorded in June of 2020. Good morning, Brian. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me on today. It's great to have you here. I don't have a high awareness of PERC, so I'd like to you to give me a little capsule summary of what the organization is and what it does. Thanks. If you think about the need for clean American energy in our homes and commercial buildings, PERC works to ensure that safe, reliable, and efficient products are available to builders and owners to operate resilient buildings when and where they want to, and allow them to help to protect our environment. So we are formed by the propane industry to help educate on primarily safety, but as well as to develop and through research new uses of propane so that there are more opportunities for users of propane to enjoy, like I said, a clean American energy. Propane is not a greenhouse gas. It has a valuable and viable role to play in our clean economy, and Perk's desire is to spread that word. So I think you mentioned something important there, when and where they want to use it. So it's a different fuel than, say, natural gas or methane, correct? Correct. Because of propane's portability, we transport as a liquid, and then it is consumed in the gaseous state in the building. We are able to set up storage and operate facilities anywhere that an owner would want to. So let's get for a second here a perspective on who you are and what your role is there at PERC and and a little bit about your background. So I spent my life as a retail propane operator. So I sold to the end user through my family's business to consumers. As a teenager working, filling the bottles that most people are familiar with for grill cylinders, all the way up to being the sales manager for our multi-location company. Uh, Pretty much have done everything that you can do in the propane industry other than drive a big over-the-road transport. So after 52 years of having the company, my father, through retirement, sold the company, and I spent four years working as a 
private consultant with other propane companies, did some technology work. Fortunate for times like today, we moved several retailers from site-based service systems to cloud-based offsite storage so that even at times like this, when everyone's working from home, they were already set up to do that. One of my clients was a nonprofit radio group. I was a general manager for their two stations for a little while. So I have a pretty varied background in the consulting world after running the retail business, then had the opportunity to join Perk. And as the director of residential and commercial business development, my job basically goes from instead of serving just those customers and contractors and service providers in the geographic area that we operated in Louisiana, I now have the ability to work to grow what is about 70% of the propane industry. And I do that across all 50 states. So what does it look like in terms of usage across the 50 states? Varied somewhat depending on obviously population density, as well as availability of natural gas. We would typically operate. Historically, we looked probably five to 10 miles from natural gas infrastructure, we would see developers for residential and commercial properties look to propane. Now that the cost of natural gas expansion is so high, we really look anything within about a mile of current distribution becomes feasible or cost preferred to do with propane. And in some jurisdictions in the mid-Atlantic and Northeast where there are inability to expand natural gas because of already peaked demand on the distribution facility or where we see some regulatory fights, propane is being installed as close as a quarter of a mile from existing natural gas infrastructure and residential developments. Wow, those are some really interesting trends. I'm a little bit familiar from my background with the oil heating industry, and I would say that's sort of like another delivered fuel, if you will, rather than a pipelined in fuel. What happens with switching? How much switching is going on between in and out of propane? And how do you understand and assess that? Where heating oil is a primary heat source, we see a lot of switching to propane as the HVAC equipment reaches end of life. Some we see before that as consumers are concerned about an oil tank or things that might have developed a problem. Propane is a very safe, clean, non-toxic fuel that's not a greenhouse gas, so it's much safer in many places to use than the oil. One big difference is we store it outdoors, so we don't have a basement option for our tanks. But we see a good bit of fuel switching there. We also see switching in the electric markets where the price of electricity has continued to increase as the grid has experienced changes and as loads have increased and we've seen a higher split in peak cost or demand charges for commercial buildings that have three-phase power coming into them and the cost to operate when they want to operate rather than when the price of electricity is the least expensive. I just want to take a little side step out to talk about propane refrigerant. Before the call, you gave me some really good orientation, the orientation of PERC to propane. So if you could repeat that again for the listeners, I think that's really key. Sure. So when PERC talks about propane, we're referring to the natural fuel of C3HA, three carbon atoms and eight hydrogen atoms. So PERC deals with the odorized product of propane. So like all the gases, it's odorless, colorless, tasteless, and there's a safety measure added, a chemical called ethyl mercaptan that's added to propane so that you can smell it. You smell that stench, that rotten egg smell. Our refrigerant, R290, is an unodorized under a class of high purity gases that is not covered under our Congressional Act or the Act that created PERC. And so we do not 
work to develop increased uses of the refrigerant. However, we do want to be sure we cover the safety aspect that it is not safe and not intended for you to use traditional residential or commercial delivered fuel as a refrigerant, that it is a very specific makeup for the R290. Yeah, it's a fuel and it's a very different task or use for the product. Speaking of as a fuel, can you talk a little bit towards the switching aspect from natural gas to propane? I know from my background that it's not the same element, so it doesn't burn the same way. So do you have educational resources to help people understand that you just can't plug in propane to a natural gas system, a natural gas appliance, for example? As your listeners understand, the delivered volume or pressure of the gas is different with natural gas and propane systems in the home. Natural gas delivery is typically at a nominal quarter pound or or eight inches of water column when propane is a half pound or 11 inches of water column in the home to the appliance. So if you were to connect propane to a natural gas appliance, you would have roughly twice the pressure of gas coming through the orifices. You would see an inappropriate air fuel mix and the flame lifting off the burner of a range or that sort of thing. Fortunately, the manufacturers provide the product so that it can be easily adjusted. The regulator on the appliance can be adjusted. The orifices can be adjusted in the air mixer so that you have the proper fuel air mix. Same for your furnaces. Even tankless water heaters are, while they're typically shipped as one fuel or the other, their manufacturers do have uh, conversion systems available for those. Yeah, it's absolutely important, especially if there's any consumers listening, that it's just not plug and play fuel change there's mechanical things and you need to have a trained and perhaps even certified tradesperson make that conversion. Is that correct? Yes. If anybody listening doesn't understand, we always want you to contact a local trained professional, whether that be your propane marketer, your HVAC professional, your appliance repair person. Propane is a tremendously safe fuel. It's trusted by more than 50 million homes in the United States, but like everything else, we want to respect it. Is perk involved with, say, outdoor gas grills and that kind of thing or heating elements or things like that? Is that still part of your purview? Yes. I go all the way from the small patio barbecue up to 150 tons of commercial cooling and heating on a building. So everything in the residential market and commercial markets would be under my purvey and what I worked to grow and expand and keep users happy and safe with a clean fuel. You'd mentioned the larger systems up to 150 tons. Can you talk a little, maybe not like in super technical detail, but just a little bit of detail about how those systems work? And if I'm not correct, they can also work as cooling systems. Is that correct? That's correct. So much as you have an electric driven heat pump that uses an electric motor to turn or to power a compressor, we can, with gas-fired heat pump technology, turn that a similar compressor to move heat or cold in either direction. So the product is generally commercially specified starting at about 15 tons, but that 15 tons can then be zoned through multiple air handlers. Just that that's sort of where the break-even point starts. And then, like I said, we install it in series up to 150 tons. Technically, we could go larger than that. That's just the largest project that I'm familiar with going. So it's an engine-driven product that is completely powered by propane. So the engine drives the compressor, not the the electric motor. Where we see challenges in California due to the cost of electricity or the unavailability of electricity because of public safety shutdowns, or we see in areas where there's commercial installations that don't have the electrical infrastructure to support 
a large new project. We can shed load for that building by taking care of the heating and cooling, the water heating, backup power generation, all of those things on propane so that the electricity that is there can meet the light bulb and igniter requirements that the building would have. Very interesting. So let's diverge or go back to the website. Why don't you give us the web address, the general address, and talk a little bit about the resources that you have there. So it's propane.com. We're very fortunate to have an easy to remember URL. (laughs) There you go. So www.propane.com. And on there, you'll find resources for consumers, for building professionals, for commercial building operators, for safety tips, for information about research that we've partnered with or produced. So there's case studies about all the topics and products that I'll mention today are available at propane.com. There's a search bar in the top right corner that you can type in what you're looking for and it'll populate with the resources that we have. There's also a bright red button that helps you find a retailer. So if you have a question in your local area and you want to find someone of expertise, type in your zip code and the range that you're willing to look for and it'll populate with suppliers there. Do you have, quote unquote, all the suppliers on board? How about your penetration into suppliers? I doubt it would ever be safe to say all. We have as many as we can identify or that that have agreed to be listed. So all the major companies, almost all of the independents, there are a number of facilities that might not be full service. You may have to call a couple to get the exact feature that you're looking for, but it's a pretty good list. Would you say there's any myths or misconceptions you could help clear up things that you commonly encounter in your role as the director there? I guess the biggest myth that we're facing right now is that electricity is clean and good for the environment and that gaseous fuels are bad. As we look at the way that electricity is produced, the amount of energy that is lost in the production, the transformation and transportation of electricity from the power plant, windmill, solar panel, however it's produced, to the plug, about 66% of that energy that's produced is lost through those transportation, transformation and production systems. When we are told that electricity is clean, at the plug it is. The electric wiring, the light bulb, the LED light bulb in the home, highly efficient. But when we look at it from a site of production or from a source of production to the site of use, we see that it's really not as clean. In contrast, it only takes about one-tenth of a percent of energy and propane to do that same production and transportation. So that you, when you look at the emissions of a product in the home, if the electrical comparison says it uses the same amount of energy, the emissions for gas are X, and the emissions for electricity are zero, that's just not a factual statement. The emissions for that electrical problem are actually three times X are the emissions of the propane product. So that's a big myth that we face right now. We also always want to make sure that people understand that, again, the safety of using propane properly It is an extremely safe fuel. By far fewer incidences occur per installation per capita with propane versus electricity and other fuel sources. So safety myth is a concern. And then the myth that it's just, it's not available where I am. We service Mm -hmm. every county in the United States. We can serve you where you are, where you want to build or where you need to have high performance, high efficiency and a low cost option. Very good. Give me some perspective, even though your role is, of course, you're, like I think you said, congressionally mandated. Is that correct? Is that the term you use? Or congressionally? Correct. Congressionally created. So Created. Yes. Yeah, so the Propane Education and Research Act was passed by Congress in the late 90s. And since then, we have operated, funded by the industry to grow through that education, research, and safety message. Got it. So I'm going to ask you to step outside that and just give us a global perspective on propane. 
if you could? We focus on the 50 states here at PERC. Globally, propane is a number three used fuel for auto gas vehicles. It's the number one, or it is moving to be the number one source of energy for cooking, which that move, when we look globally, is significant because we're moving from biofuels or biomass, high carbon intense emitters to a clean fuel, moving from wood or charcoal to gas for those individuals across the world is considerably significant. It's also used, we look at gas use in the tankless water heater market in the United States and the growth that we've seen since 1985, but that technology's been used and deployed around the world before that. In fact, the uh, tankless water heater that first came to the U.S. market was brought from a uh, French manufacturer in 1985, I believe. And my dad got one in 86 and I've been selling them ever since. It's really great not to have hot water. I think my wife is probably the best seller of tankless water heaters that we ever had. When we married, the first time she tried to take a nice bath in the old cast iron tub in the middle of the winter, it barely got the tub hot before she ran out of hot water. So we fixed that and she didn't run out of hot water. And we moved into another home, had a little larger tub. And the first time she filled it out, the tank storage unit ran out of hot water before she could get it full. So didn't take her long to say, put me a real water heater in. And ever since then, she's been selling more tankless water heaters for me, I think, than some of my salespeople because she believes in the product so well. Yeah, really awesome. I'm going to take a little technical step out and it's okay because your role director, you might not have these intimate details, but maybe you do from having been in the market so long. But so a lot of our practitioners or a lot of the listeners do work, you know, of course, in HVAC, but also in something called building performance. And that involves, say, tightening up the envelope to make it perform better, controlling the airflow. But when you do that, you can upset, say, the amount of air available for combustion and even like fuel gas leaks. Do you have any topics about I think everybody here, all the ears listening, know that propane's a heavier gas, if you will. So it's going to pull. That's an important awareness step just to make sure everybody's on that page. Anything along those kind of lines, technical, operational things? Sure. I'll start with a safety message there that anytime that you smell gas, obviously you want to move away from it, turn mm-hmm. the gas off at the tank, and then from outside the home or building, you call a, a professional for assistance. The other thing is that from a safety standpoint, every time there's an interruption in service, so if one of your technicians were to cut the gas off to make a change in appliance or to clean or improve the performance of appliance, but it included turning the gas off to the home or there was a run out of product, that interruption of service kicks in a requirement to have that system retested. So there's a built-in safety component for the technician and the consumer to redo the pressure test on the system at that time and verify that there aren't any leaks. There are no acceptable leaks in a propane system. So then when you get into the envelope of the building, and I think where you're headed is indoor air quality, tightness and makeup air are required for combustion. They're also required for air exchanges and moving air in and out of the building and for exhaust of cooking effluents. When we are challenged on the amount of potential contaminants, particularly NOx, in the indoor air quality based on a burner on a range, the research that's being based on is 25, 26 years old, mid-1990s study that was done with no real research standards to it. So it's not the same range in the same environment, and then they change the environment and do controlled studies. It was as installed product in homes of various ages and equipment of various ages. 
And a lot the, of variables, the, too many variables. A lot, of, lot of variables and the measuring devices that they use, there's no indication of calibration or anything. So the 95 study was challenging, but the challenge that we see today is in April, a review of that study that was not peer reviewed was released to the public and states that gas fuel burning appliances in the home are causing some great percentage of NOx and other pollutants some in, harm in to the indoor human air health. Quality. Yeah. Right. They don't take into consideration the requirement that ranges have ventilation. When you are considering the envelope of the home, consider that that range vent hood needs to be able to breathe. They also don't take into consideration what is on top of the stove in the pan or pot Mm. that might be cooking off. As we have begun to study and as we prepare to release studies that demonstrate that the proper use of a vent hood not only cleans up anything that might be in the combustion stream, but it also takes all of the fine particles and emissions from cooking out of the home as well. And they are much greater density of a problem or a challenge to the system than the products of combustion would be in the home. When we look at furnaces and water heaters and things, we want to make sure that they're vented properly. We know they have to be vented depending on whether they're traditional combustion or condensing product. The material that we vent with may be different, but we know they have to be atmospherically vented or installed outside the home and the hot water brought in, for instance. So part of the title of your organization is education and research, and you provided some really valuable education right there and orientation. From the research aspect, are the research studies those that you help fund and are they provided on your website or how would somebody get access to the research? I guess the short answer of access to the research is yes, the case studies would be published on the website or one might look in the annual report that's on the website for each year that details exactly how we spent money and where and be able to see the, the deliverables. There are some partnerships that we have with other research organizations or co-funders. We work a lot with groups that are soliciting Department of Energy funding for larger, more future-looking projects. And we do co-support those for some either facilities or abilities to help them get those projects off the ground. And then we benefit from having the knowledge of what's working with those projects and getting those out to the public in a timely and safe manner. I perused your website. And again, I encourage others to do that too, propane.com. And you actually present your strategic plan there. Uh, Very good illustration of where your organization's headed and what you're looking at. What would you say is maybe some top level highlights of the strategic plan? Where do you see the most growth? What are some of the things that are engaged in there? The goal of the organization is to grow users and uses of propane. So one aspect would be in increasing the use of propane in on-road vehicles. If you consider that during the COVID pandemic, we are projected to see about uh, 8 to 9% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions during the stay-at-home time. So for a year, the whole year, even though we're not staying at home for the whole year, an 8% reduction. The residential market is not the challenge for the environment. It's obviously on-road and or commercial buildings that are transportation, I guess, that are causing a lot of these outputs and emissions. So if we look at, say, for for instance, a propane-powered school bus, right before the pandemic, there were over a million, maybe 1.2 million children a day that were transported to schools on propane-powered school buses. That school bus is 98% cleaner than its comparable clean diesel counterpart. West Virginia University did a research study 
and we were not funders. We were beneficial byproducts of the study. But they found out that children that traveled to school on propane-powered buses are demonstrated having higher scores on standardized tests, were absent less often because of lower incidences of asthma and other airborne pollutant illnesses, and that when they got to school, they were ready to learn. They had not been rattled by a noisy, loud exhaust diesel bus all the way from home to school. It was even further expressed as a difference maker with our most vulnerable children, children that were handicapped or disabled, that they're sitting in a wheelchair at the tailpipe height of a diesel bus is just a scary thing in and of itself. But those students had even a more remarkable increase because they got to school safe and less disturbed than on that diesel bus. So growing uses of auto gas is a big potential for the propane industry. Another way we want to to provide growth is when we look at our agricultural markets and say, for instance, in California, they have some regions that are pretty well known for their grape growing ability and what they do with them after they grow them. It cost a farmer or vintner more to irrigate his grapes with electricity than it does to run a propane powered generator and power the same electric pump because of the electric rates in those markets and the demand charges for a commercial customer during the day. So use, yeah. Exactly, right. So that's a pretty good demonstrator of how powerful and clean propane can be. One of the neat things about the portable propane generator, and we're portable and our power is portable, is we're actually used and there have been developed fast chargers for electric vehicles that can be deployed particularly larger buses that don't have the range that they need to operate in municipalities so that we can go out and rescue an electric vehicle and charge it up. We're participating in a study to demonstrate that it is cleaner and cheaper to use propane-powered generators on site to charge electric vehicles than it is to use the grid power that is supplied to those chargers. So just really neat research that we're able to do with some of our partners to demonstrate, again, the challenge or the myth that electricity is clean and readily available and the best alternative. In the what we would call the off-road or material handling market, we see growth opportunities as we get back to shipping the indoor air quality of a propane-powered forklift or a propane-powered concrete finisher is safe. If you use diesel or gasoline, products, you're looking at carbon monoxide buildups and things that you wouldn't want to expose your workers to. So being able to have a propane-powered lawnmower that you can use on a non-attainment day in an area so that commercial cutters or lawnmower cutters are able to operate all day with a propane unit where they're restricted to non-red flag times with diesel or gasoline-powered equipment. A lot of what you hear is power Mm. in what we describe. So the engine fuel component of propane is an area where we see a lot of growth opportunity, including using that engine, like I mentioned, for the gas-fired heat pump, air conditioning and heating, but also for combined heat and power units. As we see the cost of electrical equipment and electricity rise, the combined heat and power units are becoming more economically attainable for most projects with a payback in a time frame that building operators would see as acceptable. So when we talk about combined heat and power, in most cases, that's taking some sort of gas-powered engine and using basically the alternator as mm-hmm. our generator to create electricity and pulling the waste heat of ignition off as hot water. 
then we can take that hot water or steam, depending on the technology, and use that for distributed heat, domestic hot water heating, pool heating, there, anything that you would use the heat for. It also would produce enough electricity in the summer to run the condenser side. So a lot of future growth. Right now, the cost-effective locations would be in light commercial or light to heavy commercial, 50 kW outputs are really feasible, particularly in buildings that have a either a high uptime requirement or a high cost of being down. Currently, you, we would use a backup power generator for a system like that, that would keep the building up and running. We have some customers that a shutdown of electricity to their facility might be a million dollar outage because the process that, that they're in the middle of is disrupted and it has to be be thrown out and that batch might be a million dollars or a facility that if it's suddenly shut down takes three to six weeks to clean and restart the facility. So what we are currently doing with backup power, we are researching and bringing to market opportunities to do what we would call prime power or primary power rather than backup. I know that's a lots of different things, but it's the great benefit of being a portable clean American fuel is that we can meet so many different people's needs. That's a tremendous overview. And you obviously know from A to Z what the market and the product, and that's fantastic. And I really feel fortunate to have you on the podcast today. One thing I want to do is like go all the way upstream to, and I think if the word is upstream, but the sources of the fuel. You talked a little bit earlier about the transportation costs relative to electricity and things like that. Can you give us a little visual in our minds about where the fuel comes from to its point of use? So we are a fuel that is a in a group of fuels called associated natural gas liquids. So we're naturally occurring in the ground, we would be in a liquid state. So in production of a natural gas well or an oil well, we would be one of the associated natural gas liquids. And depending on where that was produced, moved to, if it's an oil production, we might be a byproduct of refining for gasoline. If it's what's called a gas fractionator, we might be a byproduct of the production, focused production of natural gas. Or we are growing and we are being able to produce renewable propane as a byproduct from processing fats and other waste products. So from those locations, so from the refinery, the fractionator, or the renewable fuels production point, we are then transported either by rail, by pipeline, or by transport truck to a marketer or propane retailer's location where they would have on-site storage. And then they would move that product from their storage to your home or business on a smaller vehicle that we would call a bobtail truck. And then you would have your storage on site. That on-site storage gives you a great amount of comfort and resiliency, knowing that you're able to make purchases and have stored fuels and not be subject to outages like you are with a dependent utility or electric service that you might get other energy from. One question comes to mind, a little thorny question, perhaps. You seem dependent upon your competitors to some extent, competitive fuels. I guess in the current market state, we are somewhat dependent. I guess if economic shifted and we see a little bit of that now where because gasoline demand is down, there is some production specifically for propane, but we have at or above the average of amount of storage and we're building inventory as we would typically see in a market. So I feel very comfortable that we'll have adequate supplies and that we won't lose production because 
one of the uh, we quit having gasoline and i think that in the foreseeable future through all the regulations that are being pushed for electrification over 50% of our power is created by burning natural gas so why it may seem that electrification is a threat to using propane on site electrification is a benefit to our production side because we're having to make so much natural gas to meet increased electrical rules so that's one of the things that we like to demonstrate when we get back to that 66% of energy, that source of production to the site of consumption, just what really is fueling the plug at your home. Now, and fortunately, propane plays well with other on-site sources of energy like solar or a personal wind turbine. We can actually be the linchpin to help solar power the light bulbs and low amperage loads in the home while propane takes care of the high heat water heat, those demands that if you think about all of the 240 volt breakers in the home, if you could eliminate all of those, then you could have a solar panel on your home that would supply that low amperage 120 volt demand in the home for light bulbs, fans, air conditioner condensers. Solar though has a limiting capacity of sunlight. So if you pair solar with some sort of on-site electric storage device, connect it to a propane generator or combined heat and power unit, now you've got a single source that can provide you the resiliency of a battery charger or take over and provide the full amount of it energy needed for the home if an extended period of rain or, or snowfall on the panels or any of those things. But that integration of the backup generator with the solar allows the propane, that control switch, automatic transfer switch to be the linchpin and let propane help solar work better on the property. Uh, Another instance where that's important is if, again, when we look at public safety shutdowns for power, if your solar is on a net metered system, that means it goes out to the grid and then comes back into your home for Mm -hmm. use. Uh, When we shut the grid down, the power in the solar can't get out to the home. So you don't even have the benefit of that power in your home during a public safety shutdown. So if we incorporate, like I said, that on-site battery charger, a little bit of storage and that automatic transfer switch, you now can take the solar through the transfer switch into the home instead of out to the meter or or instead of out to nowhere. Yes. Very interesting. Well, I learned a lot and that was the objective. We talked about that before we started. I'm going to ask questions and I'm going to learn and I'm going to hopefully uh, educate my listeners along the way, give them food for thought. Is there anything, any points you want to cover as we wrap up here? Sure. So we talked a little bit about indoor air quality and the tightness of homes. And we talked about the listeners that are raters or looking at energy profiles from home. I Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure and and point out one particular product on the website. When you look at, at how propane works in zero net energy construction, we are, and again, it's supporting that solar. It's getting those high amperage loads out of the home so that the on-site solar can produce the energy load for the home we are a key player in getting your homes to zero and getting your customers and consumers to zero while being comfortable. So your gas furnace is 98% efficient AFUE appliance Mm -hmm. that will produce air in the home at about 134 to 138 degrees at the register. A cold climate heat pump that would cost anywhere from 30 to 50% more to purchase will produce air at the register at 90 degrees Fahrenheit. So it is cooler than your body temperature. So consumers in the end end up trying to raise the thermostat to get the same level of comfort. So just consider the consumer 
consider the high efficiency gas appliances. And when you're looking at a net zero project, when it gets to water heat, and there's testimonials, there's videos recently produced and released on the website where even in, in Monterey, California, an HVAC professional says, and I quote, I defy my customers to run out of hot water with a propane fire tankless system. So just remember, we can help you get your projects to a net zero level. Very interesting. It's a great building block in kind of this whole system of energy use for consumers. And But I, I'm glad you also gave us highlights into the other uses, the industrial uses, the on-road uses, the off-road uses too. So this is a great overview for me. And I thank you for coming on here today. I really appreciate it, Bill. And and again, propane.com, if your listeners need me, it's Brian, B-R-Y-A-N dot Cordill, C-O-R-D-I-L-L at propane.com. Happy to help. Great. And I will put the link and your email address in the show notes. So anybody listening, if you didn't jot that down, just go back up to the show notes and you can grab that info there. Thank you again, Brian, for coming on here today. We look forward to having our listeners tune in and look at the educational resources and uses and your strategic plan for propane and PERC. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. You can learn more about the mission and work of the Propane Education Research Council by going to propane.com. There's also a link in the show notes if you want to learn a little bit more about Brian Cordell from his LinkedIn bio. If you want to keep up other things that I find interesting, you can follow Building HVAC Science on Facebook by typing Building HVAC Science into the Facebook search bar. Building HVAC Science is a production of True Tech Tools Limited, which is the company I own and work for. If you're in ever need of any kind of great test and measurement tools for HVAC or building performance, please consider shopping at truetechtools.com. Thanks and have a great day. We look forward to having you back to listen to more of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. <music>